Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners, and welcome to episode 213 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Man, this week is such an exciting episode and uh, full of laughs. I am talking with UK author Ivan Wainwright. Ivan and I are uh, discussing his award-winning book, The Other Times of Caroline Tangent. It was a winner at the London Book Fair for uh, Best Indie Book of the Year. And uh, we're going to be hearing all about what that was like for him to win that, as well as the <laughs> the mistake he made during the event, uh, which, was a, which was a great laugh. Uh, we are talking music. Because the book, as you're going to find out, the book dives into time travel and going back to old concerts in time. And, uh, and and we even get sidetracked talking about what concerts, not only that we would like to attend, but concerts that we've actually been to as well. Yeah, And, and we have a good time discussing the uh, writing techniques, taking good critique, and uh, even, even some talk about Alliance of Independent Authors, which... I, you know, I haven't mentioned too often here on the show, but it's a, it's a very good organization and actually one that I plan to join here very, very soon. Oh, one thing I wanted to make sure to mention about Ivan's reading coming up is that uh, this is done, the story is written from Caroline's point of view. It's Caroline's voice. So, and Caroline is, of course, the Caroline of Caroline Tangent. This is her other times of Caroline Tangent. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of explaining for Caroline, aren't I? Anyway, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point out when you hear the reading, uh, we both forgot to mention or bring up that this is done in her voice. So so all of this and so much more is coming up very soon. Ivan's a fantastic guest and a very talented author, and I can't wait to get you to that interview here in just a couple of moments. So stay tuned for that. As for me, I've been very busy lately. My youngest son graduated high school this past weekend. So we were busy preparing for that and uh, getting, you know, getting the house prepared, uh, ready with family coming in, and I had a, had a really good time. It was very special getting to see see his graduation, and uh, very proud of him. But uh, anyway, that was that was great. So uh, you know, not that my son listens to this show, but if he ever was to pick it up sometime, uh, Kiefer, I want to say congratulations once again, and uh, very proud of you. As for my writing, it seems to be a little elevated of late. Um, I've been very motivated to get some writing on Bandit 2 done, trying to get this thing wrapped up. And uh, I think part of that motivation comes from this this coming weekend. I will be at the uh, Conquest 53 in Kansas City. I mentioned this last episode. And uh, really looking forward to this event. It's going to be a lot of fun. The Conquest, uh, it's going to be located at the Sheraton Crown Center in Kansas City, Missouri. So you can click the link in the show notes for more information about it. Uh, Head on over there. It's going to be going on May 27th to the 29th, so Memorial Day weekend. And I'm so excited because I'm going to be involved in four different panels uh, happening that uh, on Friday itself. One of the panels, oh, I I can... quickly give you what some of these panels are and then I'm going to be sharing links this week as well information about them uh the uh one of them I'm going to be talking about is extraordinary children in science fiction and fantasy uh, <laughs> another one 
that I'm involved in is called Cats in Space. And so we're discussing, I mean, just like it says, you know, would cats thrive in space? What modifications would they need to be in space? You know, you got Ripley from Alien. You know, she had her cat Jonesy. Also going to be discussing on a, on a third panel, I'm going to be talking about stupid writing tricks, the stylistic flourishes in fiction, and how clear, concise prose should always be the goal of any good writer. So we're exploring the sort of artistic flourishes that elevate our fiction and take a good, take our work from good to great. Or if it's done awful, if it's done poorly, it'll be god awful. <laughs> so we're going to be discussing our own work as well as writing from authors that hit the mark or fell a bit short. Uh, and finally, I'm going to be on the panel for the butterfly effect, which is, uh, you know, naturally that's going to be discussing the unintended consequences of the butterfly effect in time, time travel. So all of these are just fantastic. I cannot wait to discuss them. Meet the other uh, co-hosts on the panel to see what all, what all we can come up with. It's going to be a good time, man. And uh, if you're going to be in Kansas City this weekend, I hope you stop by. Um, uh, as I said, all of these panels that I'll be a part of are going to be on Friday the 27th. That's the only day, unfortunately, that I can make it up there this year. So all four of those are happening that day. But rest assured, the whole weekend will be a good time. And there's going to be a whole lot of other panels and fantastic authors and uh, all, all sorts of uh, great stuff happening. So, uh, like I said, click that link in the show notes for Conquest 53 and uh, get on over there and check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, let me go ahead and thank our sponsor, Scrivener, my favorite writing software made for writers by writers. As I said, I've been doing a lot of writing this past week in Bandit 2, and going along with that, I've also been moving a lot of stuff around because I, I realized I've... <laughs> I've done a lot of rewriting. You know, I, I mentioned a while back, I had to go back and rewrite some stuff, and I didn't delete anything. But I finally, uh, but I was creating new scenes, and I finally spent some time this week. And as a part of cleaning this up and getting it prepared, I went back and started moving chapters around and moving scenes around into their appropriate chapters. So I have everything in a nice linear style now, and and set up so that everything is okay. So first this, and then this, and then this. And it's <clears throat> Scrivener makes all of that so easy to do. Check out this advertisement for Scrivener and how you can save 20%. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Thank you once again to Scrivener. I also want to thank affiliate of the show, Writer's Block Coffee. Uh, they have three amazing flavors. There's the Signature Blend Writer's Block, the Deadline Dark, and then... As always, my personal favorite, the Whiskey Barrel Aged Blend. 
Uh, you can order one, you can order all three, you can order one time, or you can set it up on automatic shipping every month uh, so that you don't miss out and you never run out of the wonderful Writer's Block Coffee. As I said, they are an affiliate of the show, so that means if you uh, follow the link in the show notes or go directly over to writersblockcoffee.com and coupon code sample chapter, you're going to save 10%, and the show gets a little something uh, to help out with expenses. So hop on over there and give them a try. I want to also thank podcast friends, uh, Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about 10 other fantastic shows, all of them incredible and all of them pop culture related. I mentioned last time that one of my favorite shows on the network is back, and that is Alamo Draft House. And uh, yeah, again, they are fantastic. And last week, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. They were discussing the upcoming movie well, now it's it's out now, but the Downton Abbey uh, movie that was coming out, and uh, oddly enough, my and funnily enough, my wife and I were uh, discussing possibly going to see it, but instead, what we decided to do was wait to see that until after we finally started the series, which we did. We've already uh, we've already gone a, a season and a half into it, and uh, you know what? That that's a pretty good show, <laughs> to admit. So anyway. But uh, click that link in the show notes for all of the shows over at Pop Goes the Culture Network, including Alamo Drafthouse and uh, and their flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast. Hey, don't forget to also be following the show on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's very easy to find. We're just the Sample Chapter Podcast. Uh, you can see where we share every episode each week, as well as some uh, throwback episodes every week. We throw it back to several past episodes because, you know, like I said, this is episode 213. So we have a lot of back episodes to share, uh, all genres and all types of writers. If you're not a social media type person, but you'd like to contact the show, you can do so at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail by calling 660 660- Eight five one 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 four six, and uh, make it a special, a special voicemail, and uh, we'll we'll make sure to hear that on an upcoming episode. All right, everyone. Well, without further ado, let's get on over to our interview with award-winning UK author Ivan Wainwright. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to an exciting new episode. Hey, this week we are jumping over to Kent, England in the UK to have a little chat with a new friend of the show, Ivan Wainwright. Ivan is a winner of the 2022 Selfies Book Award for Fiction for his second novel, The Other Times of Caroline Tangent. Uh, It's an extremely important award and uh, wonderful that I'm I'm just very green with jealousy about it and cannot wait to talk to him about it. He is an avid music fan, enjoying gigs all over the world, uh, the Marquee in Wardour Street, uh, and many other muddy festivals. When not writing, he can be found watching and occasionally playing football, running, listening to music from Chumbawamba (laughs) to Led Zeppelin, and arguing over politics and trying to cook. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Ivan Wainwright. Thank you, Chase. That's very good. What a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, it's it's so helpful whenever my guests have a website or, or claim their Amazon page so that I have somewhere to reference. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've only just updated it recently, so uh, the website, so that's got a little bit of information on there. But yes, yes, God, gosh, you actually even hearing you say that takes me back to my uh, my teenage years of going to gigs in this tiny bar in London called called the Marquee. It was very iconic at the time. It's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I much the same way. I grew up in the '80s. So I was always going to see all the, the uh, long-haired rock and roll bands yeah, exactly. of the time. See Bon Jovi a few times, saw Kiss, and I mean, it just, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, one of them that I think uh, I like to tell about is I got to see the Cars in one of their last concerts before they broke up. That was cool. So I got to see that uh, she might drive you crazy. You drive I know it, yeah. All yeah. that. So that was a good concert. <clears throat> one of my early ones. Lovely. We saw, um, we, we, uh, we saw, my friend and I saw uh, the last concert ever in London of Thin Lizzy, if you know the Irish band. Thin oh, Lizzie. yeah. And uh, we didn't have tickets and we had to, uh, we had to tout, we had to go outside and this is back in whatever it was, the 80s as well. And we had to uh, wait and we were just about to go and a, and a couple came up to us and said, um, do you want to buy our tickets? And we said, yeah, but, you know, we, we haven't got much money. They said, that's all right. We're just selling them at face value. You can have them. So we said, okay, okay, thank you. <laughs> Bought them and rushed in. It was amazing. So, yeah, I know how you feel. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, I, the boys that are back in town, like one of my fantastic, like got to be in my top 20 songs. It's terrible, isn't it? We could, we could, talk, we could talk music all afternoon, Jason. Than- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Hence my book. This is why I wrote it, you know. So uh, <laughs> It's a great segue right into your book. <laughs> The Other Times of Caroline Tangent, which is all about, uh, well, I'll let you tell us what it's about. Thank you. So, so it has a, has a catchphrase or a strap line, which is, if you could travel back in time to see any concert, who would you go to see? And it's about uh, Caroline Tangent and her husband, John. And John invents a time machine so they can visit iconic gigs in history. So Woodstock or David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, or even Edith Piaf back in the 1930s of Paris. Um, But they can't tell anybody they're doing so. And as their trips to the past continue, so Caroline starts to realise it could change a particularly devastating moment from their own past. But she also realises that they don't want the same outcome. And then until on one journey, one of them does something unthinkable, which will change both their lives forever. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my goodness. That's a great idea. And uh, I, I can only assume that this was born from your love of going to uh, concerts. It was partly that. Uh, certainly there was always something there. What actually happened, I mean, it's, it was just complete luck. It's one of those, uh, and as a writer, you sit there sometimes and think, what should I write about? Mm-hmm. And I was actually... Um, looking on a, um, on a website, on one of those sort of chat boards that people are talking about music history and somebody asked the question, um, what gig would you have gone to if you could? And I suddenly thought, oh, wouldn't that be a good idea? What if, you know, someone invented a time machine, you could go back and see it. And as soon as I did that, you know, all these other things started churning in my mind, like what would they go to see? And, you know, how could they get the right clothes to wear or even the money? How could they buy tickets if they weren't back in time? And then, a few minutes later, I, uh, I, I suddenly thought of, um, I hope it's okay to call it the big twist in the book without giving anything away. Oh, there <laughs> and, you go. Um, I thought of those two things. And I actually spent about two hours just um, Googling because I couldn't believe no one else had done it. 
So I spent ages looking <laughs> at Amazon and book sites and websites, eventually found or I hoped that no one had done it. So I thought I'd better write it quickly. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a great feeling that had to have been to, to come upon an idea and you realize that you are the first. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's quite, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Cause time travel is, it's one of those difficult subjects. If you're not careful, gets quite hackneyed. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember reading, uh, I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners both know the book um, Save the Cat, which is a very famous yeah. screenwriting book. Yeah. yeah. And he has a lovely phrase in there where he says, um, all the producers say the same things. They say, I want the same, but different. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought, yeah, that's not bad. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm onto that to say it is time travel, but it's a little bit of a change. So, yeah, it was uh, hopefully a good little change on that. Yeah. It's kind of like after uh, Die Hard came out, all of a sudden everything became, okay, Die Hard on a boat or Die Hard in <laughs> on a train. Yeah. It, it's, I want that, but now we're going to do it here. So, yep. <laughs> Things blowing up. That's all we want. It's great. So. There you go. That's it. <laughs> and, uh, and you did such a great job with the book and the promotion of it that, uh, like, like we already said, this won the, uh, the UK 2022 Selfies Book Award for Best independently published uh, uh, fiction at the uh, London Book Fair. Uh, tell us about that. What was that feeling to get the call or to find out that you were nominated? Uh, tell us about that process. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. I, I, feel, I still feel very, uh, very, very wonderful about that. So, so, um, uh, so I, I, the, 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 there was a, the nomination was, was many months ago and then about I suppose four weeks before the book fair, so that was in April, so about sometime in March, I got an email and it flicked in my email and it said, oh, congratulations, you've been shortlisted. And I thought, I thought wow, that's amazing in itself. Mm-hmm. So I was delighted I've been shortlisted. And there was nine other books. So I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a chance. That's, that's really good, but you know, nothing much more than that. But I was still quite excited. Um, and then what actually happened on the day um, was a, now very embarrassing. So, so I went along to the London Book Fair, had a look around, that was all great. And there's a little part of the book fair um, put aside for, for, the, for, the, um, for, the, for the presentation. And um, I sat down and before I sat down, I met a number of the other shortlisted authors. And oh, it was, oh honestly, um, Jason, you know, some of them have had been shortlisted before. Some of them have had 10 years of experience, published all these books. And I sat down and I suddenly realized I wasn't going to win. I mean, how would I win? There was no <laughs> point. And, um, and they asked us all, if you can imagine like a, like a mini stage at the front, and they asked us all to bring our books to the front um, just in case we won. And I didn't bother. I just sat there because I thought, well, I'm not going to win. <laughs> so anyway, then they read out, they say the winner is other times a Caroline Tangent. I, I, saw, I somehow stumbled to the stage and say to the poor guy, my book, I haven't got it. It's on another stand across the hall. Shall I go and get it? And he says, yes, go and get it. <laughs> run across the hall, come back, grab the book, sit down. And then he kindly read out the, um, uh, the, uh, the announcement about it. But uh, it was great. And, and w- one of the things that was, that was really wonderful was that the award was, um, so it was the best independently published book. And it wasn't just about the writing. 
but it was also about the content behind it. So it was about the cover, the marketing, the um, the approach you took to it, and so on. So that was really reassuring. But it, you know, it, it was. Um, it, I felt as if I'd, you know, the, the time and effort I put into it was really good, and it wasn't just about, you know, creating some content. It was the whole package, and that was a that was a great thing. Oh my goodness! Yes. Now, now was this like? Uh best overall or was it for a certain category there were three categories so there was fiction children's fiction and uh memoir or autobiography oh so i so someone else won the children's one and and funnily enough one of the women i was sitting before for sitting beside won the best memoir and then i won the uh the best fiction so uh yeah wow man okay so i mean i was already impressed but then yeah to hear that i mean this was all fiction so it doesn't matter if this was sci-fi romance whatever it's all together in this one big lump and yours came out on top that's very impressive very well done it it was interesting because most of the other books i think there was was nine shortlisted i think eight were thrillers sorry seven were thrillers Mm. I, i can't remember there was another one and then there was mine, as you say, which was, I suppose, a, a, a sci-fi um, genre trend. Uh, so that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really good. Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. So <clears throat> so now what, what went into that? I know, um, like you, I know you're, you're also a, a fan of the Alliance of Independence Authors. I'm a big fan as well. I've been following them for years. Um, are, are you a member? A member? I am indeed. Yeah. So that's where uh, that's where my book was, <laughs> luckily. So they have a stand <laughs> at the fair, and uh, I took it over there. And um, it was it was actually uh, sort of another bit of embarrassment. It was a horrible. I can't keep I'm saying I'm so embarrassed all the time. It was a wonderful day, I promise. <laughs> but what happened? I won the war, and then and then uh, they immediately wanted to interview me about it. The, the, sure. the ally did. And of course, I was still six feet above the ground at that point. So they, they did a video of me afterwards. And you can see my face is just cracked into a massive smile. But uh, <laughs> they're a great organization. I think they really are. And um, they do um, so much good support for authors in terms of everything from just giving advice uh, through to the, uh, the Facebook group, which is really good for, uh, for, for authors to ask questions on. Um, they try to support uh, authors in terms of some of the, um, there were some issues a few years ago, probably still are about some of the audible um, uh, royalties. So um, yeah, I think they're a, they're a great organization to, uh, to support this sector. Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, they are on my, my to-do list for this year. I've put them in my, my author budget to uh, like, okay, I'm signing up to, to join them this year. I'd wanted to in years past, but just I didn't feel accomplished enough and didn't have the money in the in the bank account. But I'm looking forward to it. So Good. that's uh, coming up this summer, I think, is when I'm going to be uh, signing yeah. up with them. Now, this was your uh, uh, the the other times of Caroline tangent. That was your second book, uh, your first one. The uh, the kosher deli. Now, that was your first one came out a couple of years ago. What, uh, well, tell us a little bit about this book first. So the Kosher Deli, and that's spelt D-E-L-H-I, which will become apparent why in a second. <laughs> so <laughs> the Kosher Deli was um, a, a, a more of a general fiction, or contemporary fiction novel. And uh, that was about um, a character called Vic, who was growing up in the uh, set in the 1990s in the north of England. And he was a uh, half Indian, half Jewish 
and there's a bit of my background there, which I can come to if need be. And um, he's, he's living there, but he's, he's not really paying attention to what's going on in society and in life. And then he meets um, Yvonne, who's a bit of a, a Scottish um, protagonist and Scottish antagonist. And uh, she really picks him up and sort of shows him what he's been missing in life. And that shows the trip they go from uh, a journey they take from, from, uh, from the north of England to London, uh, actually end up in New York. So there's the actual restaurant, the Kosher Deli, is in, is in New York in the, in the book. Mm. And um, that was uh, much more of, uh, that was, so that was a let's say contemporary fiction, and that was more where I was thinking politically. And so there's a, there's a bit of um, background of discussing some of the issues we see in society and some of the things going on in, in, in the world. Okay. All right. Wonderful. And it, it's, it's, it seems like it was very well received and uh, launched your author career. Uh, what do you think, uh, what, what did you learn from that first book that you put towards the second book or lessons you think uh, that, that helped you with the second book? Yeah, that's really interesting because the first book um, I, um, I, I wrote it and got it published with a, with a small publisher in the UK. And <laughs> I learned so much from what I thought was writing a book to actually discovering what it really involves. So, so one great example is when I took it to them, it was 120,000 words. And then by the time that the editor had, had finished with it, it, it chopped out almost one third of it, which is a complete <laughs> shock to me. And then we sort of put a bit more back. So it ended up at about 90,000. But I learned about, gosh, I learned about working with editors. I learned about um, some of the marketing side of things that they did. I learned about, um, in particular, one of the things which actually I, I didn't do with them, but I did later with Caroline Tangent, was working with a, a developmental editor or a structural editor. Yeah. And, and I've become a massive fan of that. So when I, when I wrote my second book, um, I, I wrote the book, gave it to a few friends and, and family and they were really kind and gave me some feedback. But then I found a, um, as I say, a developmental editor and sent it to her. And she was just amazing because she, she gave me so many great ideas about saying, well, you've done this, why don't you do that? And how about structuring it differently? And by the way, she's, for example, she, one thing she said was, by the way, all your secondary characters, all they really do is just listen to Caroline talk. They don't have any dreams of their own. And I thought, <laughs> what a very good point. And um, I don't know if you've ever read a book. I'm holding a book called Story Genius by Lisa Cron. Have you ever come across that? Oh, I don't think I have. So there's a great book. So Lisa Cron is, a, I suppose, a, like a writing coach. And Story Genius is fabulous. And it's just a brilliant book to help you do writing. And one of the things that she says in it is that all the secondary characters, all your secondary characters in a novel, think that they are your primary character. And I thought that was brilliant. Oh, wow. So it really gave me a better way of, you know, writing their background and so on. So I think that what the first book did, I enjoyed it. It was, I hope it was good. I'm proud of it. But certainly, you know, the second book, I realized so more about keeping things sharp, keeping things, you know, um, uh, uh, fine tuned, making sure that every chapter, even every paragraph moves the story on. You know, if you listen to agents and publishers and people talk about it, 
these are the things they often say about some of us as independent writers is that we, we get a little bit, you know, carried away and we go, oh, I'm going to write this beautiful um, chapter all about something. And it doesn't really do something for the novel. So all of that has sort of given me a much better feel, hopefully, for how to, um, I think, you know, write a book, which is uh, a little bit more, uh, well, hopefully what people want to read. <laughs> and that's, that's great to have that you have that circle of friends and then the developmental editor and so many people who you can rely upon. And that, that was world changing for me uh, to find my local writing group who really helped me find direction with my first book. We put on our first, uh, our first convention years back and we had some like quote real authors came in and uh, you know, they were giving lessons and, and uh, I won a free critique from one of them. And uh, I was like, oh, great. Yeah, here's my first three chapters for my what would be my first book. And I got the feedback and uh, she, she says it wasn't until the last uh, four lines of your third chapter before I realized what was happening. Oh, no. <laughs> She's like the rest of it was all just background information that you don't need. So, you know, I'm sorry, but you don't need any of that. And I yeah. was looking at it going, She's totally right. Yeah, it's yeah. all just it's all fluff. It was, and I've since learned how much of that though, it's still useful for the author because it's information we need, Definitely. Uh, but, uh, but it's like, yeah, going back through, you got to have that critical eye of knowing like, okay, this doesn't need to be there though. It's not like you said, advancing the story. It's not uh, doing anything else. And so many, not just independent authors, but authors in general, we oh, all yeah. do that, that same thing. And in fact, ironically, I think that I've read, I, I, we probably shouldn't name names this time, but a few big <laughs> authors over the last few years who I love or used to. And I think when you get a really, really, really big author, it's almost as if the editors become afraid to critique them. And I think yeah. one or two books I've read are, are definitely too big now. You know, they would have done with a good chop out of, of some words as they go. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like... Uh whenever you see I mean, it's no different from from a, a big name author and yeah you get some parts where you're like oh gosh this is just dragging yeah. on yeah. and uh same thing with uh directors uh who get sometimes a, i don't know they get they get a movie that they've been looking forward to and so they want to make it the way they want to make it and it's like yeah. wow you could really cut 45 minutes and yeah. save us all some time in this movie so. <laughs> but i think i think that's such a i think it's it's you get well for all authors whether it's traditional or indie you know, as you said, having the critical eye, having someone look at it. Oh, I'll tell you a nice quick story about my first book. So this is, I don't know, other, one or two other people I know have said this, that to my partner, Sarah, um, I've now written two books and a few other attempted ones, and she hasn't read a single one, which is fine. They're not her cup of tea, which is okay. <laughs> yeah. But she has read both of the first chapters, chapter ones, and the kosher deli, I gave her the first chapter one day and she read it and came uh, on the train and came back in the evening and she sat down with me. And I said, so what did you think of it? And she said, right, Ivan, this is going to be difficult. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> so she said, right, I'm going to tell you this. Don't be angry. I said, all right, I promise. So she then started reading off for like, you know, six or eight things, one or two good and a few of them weren't. And you're right. I sat there and I had to think she's absolutely right, Jason. You know, why was I thinking this? What did I mean by that? And so that was my, almost my first example 
of someone, not quite, if I remember being much younger and, you know, and other people saying the same thing, but, you know, in my, in my, uh, my later life of writing, then, um, yeah, she was definitely a, a good bellwether. Oh, that's great. It's funny you say that because it's it, it, fans of the show will know I had the same experience with my wife uh, that yeah. she she read through my first book. And I, I made the mistake of when I got done with it and I had edited it, like I just ran it through like uh, uh, Microsoft Word uh, to fix it. And, and I did the uh, the huge faux pas of instead of sitting down and actually looking through all 300 errors, I just said, yeah, fix all. Oh. And then I hit publish <laughs> and uh, my wife started reading it. And yeah, halfway through the first chapter, she goes, I can't believe you've published this. What, what have you done? And uh, so she went through it and uh, was, was just, you know, red marking it. And she would stop oh. and go, what are you thinking here? Like, I don't understand this. And she eviscerated me, but it was, there, there was only once or twice that it really hurt. And uh, we had we had a discussion that was uh, <laughs> very uh, adult oriented and like, <clears throat> like okay, but uh, but it was it was also very very good and I I look back on it fondly and she same thing she hasn't read anything I've written since she's afraid she's afraid of what I'm like oh no 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 it's like uh, but she's also been very involved with all of my books since then I I really depend on her opinion and her views and she helps me so much get unstuck with a lot of times it's just a simple solution and I'm, I'm overthinking it so, yeah. well let's sum up <laughs> that bit I, I i really think you know for, for, for anyone listening if, you know if they are an indie and they're trying to write book publish a book if you have a budget and it's the hardest thing but i think if you do have a budget of something having uh, a, a, an editor, a structural editor, look at it, or someone who can, you know, who's uh, who, who knows what they're talking about, is I think one of the most valuable areas. So, I, if you can afford it, I really recommend. I think it's a brilliant thing to do. Definitely, I agree completely. So, what are you, uh, what are you working on now? What, what's next for you? Um, so, I do get a little bit paranoid about saying what's next because then I start something and find it's the wrong thing. So, it's uh, mm -hmm. I can't believe I do this honestly because I still. You know, if I had any advice for my younger self, it would be stop writing so many chapter ones and knuckle down and write one book. Um, <laughs> so um, I have another um, uh, more, another time travel book in the in the hopefully coming along. Uh, it's a bit more classic, um, but it's and it's a slightly more of a time travel, a, a bit more of a thriller. Um, Caroline Tangent has got its, you know, hopefully it's, uh, it's thrilling aspects to it, but it is much about the music and about the wonderful aspect being able to go back and um, there's, a, there's a, you know, hopefully some, some, some decent sort of, you know, characters in it. And this one's a little bit more, um, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, akin to a, to, a, to a time travel film of some sort, which is not what I'm trying to do, but it's, it's where it's turning out. So, so my apologies, if, I, if, I, if it's okay just to say that, because that's, uh, as I said, I know that as soon as I start saying something else, so then I'll, I'll immediately change it. So uh, <laughs> that's what I have. <laughs> that's all right. I'm, I'm the same way. I have at least two books this past year that I've started <laughs> and done a few chapters and then set them aside so I could get back on the, I think, I think it was just, I had to get it out. I had to get yeah. something started, set it aside, and then go back to what I was working on that was that was coming out. Like I I set a date, and I was like, yeah, I got to get back to this. Uh, but the other ones are they're waiting. They're, they'll be there when I'm ready. So. It's, I mean, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. And again, you know, just just putting a book down, you're writing, 
mm-hmm. uh, going away and uh, coming back. And I think there's two things. One is it can be really good because then you can start seeing if it is good or if it gets you excited again. If you can read it and get excited, it's good for everyone else. Yeah. But there's also another lovely quote I learned. I think it was um, Ben Aronovich, who's a, a UK author. I think it was Ben Aronovich. If it wasn't, I'm going to be very embarrassed whoever did say it. He did say that if you leave a book too long, the characters get bored and walk away. And I love that expression. Mm. I do know that where if you don't worry, you know, if you don't, if you leave something too long, you'll come back and it just isn't there anymore. So there's a fine line sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. I actually meant to ask you too, though, uh, during it though, if, if you, and maybe this comes up in the book, but if you could go back, what uh, concert is on your list? That's great. I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm going to cheat and say two. Uh, the first is actually that, that EDFPF concert. I, I think going back to see, um, to see not just the fact that PF singing in the 1930s, but imagine going to Paris in the 30s. And again, partly to see the environment and the atmosphere, know what's going to happen. That would be, that'll be incredible. That would be an incredible trip and a good, good, a good concert. But if you had to push me, then for pure hedonism, I'd go and see an early concert by The Who. Mm. Um, not, not, not when they were big enough to be selling out huge stadiums, somewhere in between. And uh, I think I'd have to take some earplugs, but I think that would be a marvellous thing to see. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, one of them I would love to be, I would love to be present for like uh, Eric Clapton, at the Royal Albert Hall in Lin- oh, yeah. in London, uh, when he recorded his Twenty Four Nights album, yeah. uh, that would be really good. Or maybe, uh, I mean, I my wife and I saw him in two thousand eight, and I, it brought tears to my eyes. Like I finally got to see Eric Clapton, and we'd seen um, uh, Genesis the year before. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was another one that was just she and I were so excited. And yeah. I'm actually reading uh, Phil's autobiography now, and I thought. Oh man, as soon as you get to talking, I thought, oh, how much fun would it be to see them in concert like in 85, 86, in their, in their big heydays, uh, they're around Invisible Touch and all that. Oh, that would be something. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun subject, isn't it? You know, and, and plenty of people have told me that, you know, they've had um, book clubs and, you know, they read the book and obviously discuss the book and some of the things in there. But um, as part of that, everyone eventually has a glass of wine and says, who would you go and see? And, it, and that's that's what we'll go on about it <laughs> perfect oh my gosh yeah it definitely lends itself to the uh, to discussion yes yeah, fun so ivan where can uh, people find and follow you so um i've got my website which is ivanwainwright.com and that's uh wainwright with an e in the middle um or actually i'm most active on twitter so again if you if you go to twitter and uh, look for ivan wainwright W-A-I-N-E-W-R-I-G-H-T. Then I'm on Twitter. And uh, I still I still mostly enjoy Twitter for all its um all its challenges. <laughs> uh, there are some nice people on there, there's some good people. Book Twitter is a nice place to be. So yeah, yeah you can find me on Twitter and that's a good place to find me. Wonderful. Okay. And everybody knows I'm gonna have links for that in the show notes. So Whenever this episode comes up, we'll have them tagged on the social media and uh, and it'll be right there in the show notes. So everybody can look for that there. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real delight talking to you and uh, congratulations again on the award. It, it's well-deserved and uh, I, I'm just, I'm so happy for you and uh, I look forward to uh, what you put out in the future. 
Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Make sure to let us let me know whenever uh, your next book's coming out so that we can oh, we'll definitely we can help promote it for you. Oh, that's very kind. If you've got it. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my delicious writer's block coffee and hand the floor over to my guest, Ivan Wainwright, with The Other Times of Caroline Tangent. Thank you, Jason. So I'm going to read just um, the prologue, which is just a few pages, but hopefully that will give everyone a, a good taste for the book. Paris, October 1935. We're in Le Gurney's in the Pigalle district of Paris, sitting at a table so close to the stage that I could almost reach out and touch it. John picks up a bottle of 1930 Chateau Haubriand and empties it into our glasses. I've never tasted such delicate wine. The musicians are warming up, playing scales on their trumpets, tapping cymbals, balancing a double bass. Round us, everyone is smoking. I try not to cough, but the low ceilings in the club create a permanent haze above my head. I lean over to my husband. You know, I forget sometimes how smoky bars can be. The band leader on stage sits with a cigarette nonchalantly dangling between his lips, tuning his guitar. In his suit and tie, he is the epitome of cool. Do you know who that is? John whispers to me. I shake my head. Django Reinhardt. By this time, he and Stefan Grappelli are already famous. He'll go on to tour with Duke Ellington in the States in a few years. I catch my breath. And I think I saw Maurice Chevalier earlier. What an era to be living in. John catches the waiter's eye and he hurries over, weaving elegantly between the tables. My husband taps our wine bottle. En course, s'il vous plaît. Oui, monsieur. The garçon dashes off. A couple at a nearby table glower jealously. Isn't the wine expensive? I say in a low voice. The dearest on the menu. It'll be out of our reach if we didn't benefit from such an amazing exchange rate. We both burst out laughing. John scratches his leg. These trousers are so uncomfortable, Kaz. How did people put up with this material? It was normal for them. And you look very handsome. The Double-breasted style suits you. I smooth my hands down the front of my silk Madeleine Vionnet dress. Personally, I love the clothes, but I'm not sure if I want to keep this perm. The hubbub of voices around us changes from loud murmurs to excited chatter, and a few people clap. I turn back to face the stage. A petite woman dressed in a black dress is walking on. She approaches the microphone and nervously nods at the audience. I grab John's arm. John, it's Edith Piaf, in the flesh. John's grin is as broad as the same. Can you believe it? No, I still can't. Me neither, but it really is and we're really here. I wish we could tell our friends how incredible it is, I say wistfully, but we can't. We never will be able to. The audience hush, Reinhardt taps his feet and the band strikes up. A few feet in front of us, 21-year-old Edith Piaf begins to sing and I sink back into my chair, my eyes glued on the diminutive artiste. Perhaps of all our trips, this one is the most unimaginable. But we don't have to imagine it. We're here in 1935 Paris. In a few years, Adolf Hitler will invade the French capital. In May 1968, there will be protests and wildcat strikes in the city. 
and less than 20 years after that, the Musée d'Orsay will open its doors. Fast forward to 2021, and Pigalle will be famous for its neon-lit red light district rather than smoky jazz bars and artist studios. But not yet. Tonight, Edith Piaf sings, and we can watch Undisturbed. All right, so that was Ivan Wainwright reading a section from The Other Times of Caroline Tangent. The book is available right now, and there's a link in the show notes for Ivan and the books. Make sure you find and follow him in those show notes. It's well worth it, and uh, he's a great guy. So I invite you to check out all of his work and see what else he has to offer. Don't forget to also click the link in our show notes for Conquest 53 coming up in just a few days. Also check out our podcast friends, sponsor and affiliate. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next time when I'm back with an all new author, a brand new book, and an all new sample chapter. I hope to see you at Conquest 53. So until next time, take care.